Hundreds of hearts that beat as one. Grateful for all the house has done. Attention, attention. Welcome to the Weston House Camp Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Walensky, former camper, staff member, and current operations director. For first activity period, I will answer some fan mail from West End mother and wife, Alicia Dancy, then alums Josh Mendelson and Mike Connerth. For second activity period, I will talk to the rookie Han twins, Alex and Tyler from 2B, who came up to camp all the way from San Diego, California. Finally, for elective time, I will talk to inspection legend and the head coach of the White Chaos in 2012, Matthew Shivers, about some of his cabin cleaning strategies. Okay, let's start first activity period with some questions and answers. Hi, this is Alicia Dancy. I'm mom to two campers at West End, Jacob and Sam, and I have two questions about camp. So my first question is about the inner path. Is there an outer path? And if there is not an outer path, why is it called the inner path? And then my second question is why are the bunks not in numerical order? So if you can get back to me with those answers, that would be awesome. Thanks. Wow, Alicia, those are two incredible questions. Maybe the best two I've got so far. The first one, uh, the question about the inner path, I actually do a little research on. I just assumed it was because it was within the confines of our camp. But Bill Margolin let me know that the road between the ponds, which is the street name of our camp, was the original outer path. It was not paved. And then when it became paved and became like an official road, the inner path then became known as the inner path. And Bill believes that it was always there as a way to get animals that were on what's now the softball field down to the lake for some drinking water. Today, we use it to obviously walk up to go to the ball fields. Great question. So why are the cabins out of order numerically? So currently, the numbers of the cabins from youngest to oldest goes fives, twos, threes, fours, ones and then to Gottlieb. Well, let me speak to the most recent change, which is the ones are now a senior bunk. In my era, it was a junior bunk. And when the camp decided to have 15-year-old campers as opposed to 14 and add that extra year, it was decided to put the 14-year-olds in the ones, which is better real estate close to the lake, and then the 15-year-olds would be in Gottlieb. However, the reason why the numbers have never been accurate is because originally the camp just had the ones, twos, threes, and fours. They were built in 1950, and the fives were built in 1961. Bill was actually a counselor in the first year that the fives were erected. So at that point, back in 1961, the numbers probably should have changed, but they never did. And it was decided that the youngest kids should get the nicest new cabin, the fives. So therefore, it's always, it had gone fives, ones, twos, threes, fours, up until the early 2000s. Now, but that begs the question, though, why don't we switch it and make it more numerical? Why don't we call the fives the ones and so forth? Well, it's just ingrained in the vernacular of camp. To change it now would be to change tradition. People say, oh, I was in the fives or I was in the fours. And everyone knows what that means, whether you're 95 years old or whether you're whether you're a nine-year-old kid at camp. So to change the verbiage would be really kind of difficult. But uh, I'm going to propose this, though. When the fives were erected, why didn't they call them the zeros? And you have zero A and zero B. And that way, the numbers would have been 
accurate. They could add the zeros, then the ones, the twos, the threes, the fours, then Gottlieb. Maybe the zeros doesn't sound nice. Maybe like, oh, I was in zero A doesn't really sound like something that you'd want to be in. You know, maybe it'd be made fun of like, oh, you're a zero. I'm not really sure. Maybe we could have gone decimals like 0.5 A and 0.5 B. Maybe that would have been confusing to people. Maybe we go negative numbers. You could have gone negative 1 A, negative, negative 1 B. That might have been confusing as well. Or maybe what we should have done is they call them C and D. And you go C and D and then you go 1s, 2s, 3s, 4s. A lot of different options. I think that just the easier move just to be, was to call them 5s. In hindsight, we probably should have called them the zeros. Thank you for the question. Hey, Ryan, it's Josh Mendelson. What are the best and worst color war entrances for each decade that you've seen at camp? Well, Josh, I wasn't there in 1986. It doesn't technically answer your question, but supposedly when Dean Goldberg and Johnny Staller came out together in a limo for the white vice, those who were there say the color war ended at that point. They were two highly respected, great coaches coming out of a limo. But to answer your question, one I was there for, I didn't actually see it. But the Blue Cartel helicopter entrance has to be the best. So the Blue Cartel, they didn't even go down to the volleyball court. They went to the soccer field in a helicopter landed with Danny Levine, Lane Davis, and Rich Grealish, I believe. And it was very expensive. Mike Sanisuaso, Brian Block, Matt Holt are still paying for it, supposedly. I've heard they they have five more years left on their payments and it was clearly not an effective technique to spend $600 on a helicopter because they proceeded to lose by the most points in color war history however it's pretty cool to come out of a helicopter I would say the worst entrance and I wasn't there for it was Evan Lepler entered and fell on, <laughs> uh, and got injured and had to go to the hospital he did some sort of uh, off the back porch jump and it did not go well and Steve Lepler was there and Evan had to go to the hospital. So that's kind of a tough look to start off your color war with a, a hospital visit. So I would say that's got to be the worst one. Thank you, Josh. Hey, Ryan. It's Michael Connor with Gottlieb97. I love the podcast. I have a couple questions I'm hoping to get your take on. My first question, as a camper, I always loved color war. And waiting for it to start always had me on edge and excited. My question is, what are some of your all-time favorite and least favorite starts to color war? My second question what goes into the decision to put a camper in the A side versus the B side of a bunk? And are there any historically great A versus B side rivalries you can recall? Thanks and keep up all the great work. Hey, Connor, thanks for the great questions. Well, let me first answer the Color War Start one. I think Color War Starts historically have been a major disappointment in many years. I think where people go wrong is they try to make elaborate starts or try to have acting involved. That always goes wrong. So I think the key is to have a quick, surprising, and fast start. So along those lines, some of my favorite ones that I've seen were 1988 was done during Highlight when the counselor started Color War. Uh, I've heard there was a great one where a seaplane flew over the camp and dropped blue and white papers. I really liked in 2008, we did uh, movie nights in one in the rec hall and one in the mess hall. And so the kids thought there's no way color war could start. We're divided. And we timed it so that like two minutes into each movie, the words color war is now popped up on the screen. Courtesy of Dan Anneman put that together for us. People said that that was one of the better ones recently. And the other one recently that I really liked was when we had a Russian flag up for an event we have called World Cup and everyone thought we were going to pull down the Russian flag and it was going to be behind that 
And we pulled down the Russian flag. Uh, Brett Smythe was a counselor, pulled it down, and it was actually a Soviet Union flag. And so the kids were all disappointed. But then we pulled down a real one that said Color Wars Now right next to it. And that was a big hit. On the bad side, I can just say my first year, there was this lady who was a who came in. She was the health inspector, and she did her thing. And at the end, she met in the counseling and literally said something like this. Okay, West End, I have a really, really big secret. It's really, really, really important. Color Wars Now. It was just very anti and terrible. In 1989, remember Kevin Whiteside, who was a counselor who was a musician, was going to blow blue and white papers out of his saxophone, I believe it was. But he had campers helping him cut up the blue and white papers prior to. So that wasn't so surprising. And then back to my original theory where like acting always goes wrong. In 1990, there was one where the cook was supposed to get in a fight with David Andelman. And anytime you involve the cook in, in an acting project, it's really not likely to go well. I don't know why, you know, acting and cooking for 150 people. Those aren't skills that usually go together. So that was another one that I thought was terrible. In modern times, there's a couple that we had were good ideas that just did not pan out. Like we were, during the Happy Birthday song, the counselors were supposed to pull up their shirts and, and they were supposed to have their shirts painted blue and white, but there was a timing issue. And it was supposed to be like a big bang outside of the mess hall and then to startle everybody and the bang didn't happen. So that was a big failure as well. So again, back to the original premise. Don't have elaborate skits. Keep it short and sweet and surprising. Literally five minutes after Color War starts, nobody really cares. I think the kids are so into this, the teams, they don't think back like, oh, that was a bummer, Color War start. It's one of those things that the runners of Color War spend way too much time thinking about. So that was a great question. And I'm going to answer your questions about the question about the A's versus the B's. So in our era, it went the order of bunks and from age, which I answered this in a previous question, went from fives to ones to twos to threes to fours to Gottlieb. But in modern times, because we have an extra year of camper, it goes from fives to twos. Those are the junior bunks. Then threes and fours are what we now call intermediates. And then ones and Gottlieb are what we call seniors. So I'm going to use the modern day structure to answer the question. Gottlieb is 15-year-olds. The ones are like 14-year-olds. The fours are like 13-year-olds. The threes are 12-year-olds. The twos are 11-year-olds, which leaves the fives for everybody else. So the fives, we've had kids as young as six and as old as 10 can be in the fives. We've probably even had a few 11-year-olds through the years. So that's a huge age range of kids in the fives. So you have kids that are in the fives for like four years sometimes. So if a kid goes from 5A to 5B and stays in 5B, or even if they don't, they usually then go to 2B. And then 2A usually ends up being new juniors. And then from there on in, it usually just sticks to that pattern. So let's say you got a veteran kid. Like I'm thinking right now, we have a kid, uh, Zach Wynn, Steve Wynn's son is in 5B. Next year, I'm assuming he's going to go up to 2B. And then anybody new comes to camp that that is 11 years old would filter into 2A. And then at that point forward, you'll see Zach Wynn go from 2B to 3B to 4B to 1B to Gottlieb. So that's basically the progression there. I think historically the B-sides have usually been better bunks because of that kind of dynamic. Kids going from 5B to, to 2B or an hour to 1B. So I think the B-bunks historically have been the better bunks. I would say it's probably true 75% of the time. So a major, major, to answer your other question, there was a huge rivalry it's been talked about for years between A's and B's in the 89 Gottlieb. In 1988, you have a strong, a historically strong 4B with Dan Andelman, Brian Block, Billy Faria, Josh Mendelson, um, some big names. And then in 4A, you have my brother Eric's bunk, which is my brother Eric, David Gorin, Scott Eagerman, Adam Radvika. Just two great, great, great cabins. And they were rivals. In fact, in color war, 
it seemed like they always divided the kids by the by the A and the B. So they get to Gottlieb, and it's huge controversy because there's going to be like 25 kids in Gottlieb. It was going to be way too big. But they tried to make it work at first. And the senior counselor that year was John Zimmon, who was always with the A guys, my brother Eric's side. So he was probably going to tilt his favoritism more towards those guys. And the B side, the four B guys that had gone up, did not like being jammed into a giant cabin. I think most of them did not get the preferential spots in the cabin. And they, I think on their own, decided that they wanted to move to a different cabin. So then they moved into 5A, where Kevin Lustig, in a huge coup, got those kids. So in the 1989 Gottlieb, you have the Gottliebers were the 4A guys from the previous year, and then the 5A guys were the 4B guys. That rivalry has always been strong. I think it was at its peak because the 5A guys then decided to do a color war fake out in 1989 and did not include the guys from Gottlieb. And that, I think, made the rivalry even bigger. And then I think through the years, a lot of those guys coached color war for like, you know, Ron Cochran was involved. Those guys coached color war for like five years. And it seemed pretty consistent that it was like the former 4A guys versus the former 4B guys in most of the color wars. And my brother Eric would probably like me to say that the A guys usually won color war. Sorry, Billy Faria and the rest of those 4B guys from 1988. Thank you for the question. For second activity, let's hear from Alex and Tyler Hahn from San Diego, the sons of 1992 high senior captain Michael Hahn for the white rock and roll. Okay, I'm here with uh, Alex and Tyler Hahn. Uh, could you guys tell me where you're from and how you ended up at camp? Well, we're from San Diego, California, and we ended up here because our dad went here. Yeah. Oh, your turn. Basically, yeah. <laughs> because our dad went to this camp when he was younger, and we wanted to go there, and I guess it could be a tradition. Good. And even though you had to fly all the way from San Diego, you still really wanted to come, correct? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Were you nervous at all flying across the country and, and going to a place so far away from home? No. <laughs> Why not? Because I like going on vacation. Okay. So this year we had a great color war and you guys were on opposite teams. And Tyler, I think you were on the white showtime, which won by yeah. two points. Am I correct? Yes. yes. All right. Tell me who should have won and why. Mm, it was very close. The teams were both evenly, pretty evenly matched. Our team always said people were cheating from the other team, but I don't think that was true. <laughs> what was said? Like, why? Did, how do they cheat? Because on the like, the big relay thing, they said like Tyler, like Tyler's team, like they were like way in front of the line. And another reason why, but this isn't really cheating. It's because um, they were wearing life jackets, oh, and then and, they started chanting that. Oh, and in the, the water polo game, yeah, if, if you're in the first pool, you get to wear a life jacket, which is a rule we probably should change, right? No, not in the life jacket, in the swim meet. They were swimming really a lot faster. Oh, yeah. in the swim meet. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but the, the rule um for the water polo should probably change, though. So when you guys got home, Tyler, have you been talking trash to Alex about winning color war by two points? No, only for like two weeks. And then we, I stopped and I never meant I didn't mention it a lot. Alex, is this hurting that I'm even talking about this? Mm, not really. <laughs> You're a good sport. Yeah. Um, what was your favorite part of Color War? Do you like any of the games that when it started, something like that? Yeah, the games were good. The omelets were the best because we sweep them. Oh, no, no. The, our, the best thing was our big comeback. Yeah, and you guys got really close? 
Yeah. What was the coolest coach's entrance that you saw? Probably when I think it was Brody went from under the mess hall. He went under that like door mm-hmm. and, and then like things like exploded. <laughs> okay. I yeah. don't remember what it was, but. All right. What about the showtime, Tyler? What was like the coolest entrance there? So I'm not really sure. They were all really exciting because just everybody was so happy that Color War was starting and it all they all seemed like the best. Do you remember the one Cole Lepler did with the uh, Indiana Jones? Yeah, that was so. That was funny. Could you explain what he did? He was running. He was running out of the trail, and then this ball um, that was simulating the ball from the giant rock from Indiana Jones. It was coming towards him, and he started. Re- he was running. Um, he was running away from it, but it kept rolling. It kept rolling to him. Okay. One of the traditions at camp that is has been going on forever and is a little a little out there, but it's it's just something we do is is cake and milk. So let me put you in a series. So you, you're done with the with the night activity and you go back to your bunk, you prepare for cake and milk, and you're walking, not running down to the cake and milk table. What are you most looking forward to seeing or hoping that is gonna be on the cake and milk tray? Everything. <laughs> you don't have a favorite? I really like the like raisin cookies. Wait, was there brownies? Yeah, they were brownies. Yeah, the brownies. I really liked the brownies. They were so good. That was my favorite one. And also, all of out, out of all of the meals there, that um, I enjoy cake, cake and milk the most. Cake and ma- cake <laughs> and milk the most. <laughs> and what about inspection? What's your favorite jobs to do? Um, I like waiter because I just wake up and do my job and then uh, I have to do it two more times and then you're basically done. But you, you just like sit around in your cabin when everybody else is cleaning up. I like- oh, see, I, I don't agree with that strategy from your counsel. What, what bunk were you in? Two, two B? Two B. Yeah, see, if I'm your senior counselor, I always have it. If you're not cleaning, you can't be in the bunk because then you distract the other campers. Yeah. You with that policy. I had two favorites. So I what like Fortune Basket. Cause they kind of like sleeping cause it's yep. a little bit entertaining to do when you're free time. And then waiter, because like at lunchtime you could like, if you had ramen, you could put it in the microwave and then like wait the table. And then when you finish wa- um, waiting the table or setting up the table, then you can get your ramen back and it's already ready. And you don't have to so, put in the big line. So you're saying if you're a waiter, you almost get like, VIP treatment to the microwave to get your mom in it. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. But couldn't you do that if you weren't waiter? Couldn't you just come down to first bell and, and do the same thing? Yeah, but you would have to like wait there doing nothing. But think... if you were waiter, you would like do your job when you were waiting for your food. I see. Okay. Tell me some fun things your counselors did with you like in the cabin during the summer. Well, we made the, up this game called Rafter Newcomb. It's Tell kind... me about it. So it's kind of like Rafter ball, but you throw the like a big ball, not like a wiffle ball or tennis ball. You throw mm-hmm. like up like a jelly ball or a playground ball up to the rafters, and then you have to like catch it. And then and what happens if you drop it? Then it's a point for the other person, and then it's like there's the seven or eleven. It was just oh, entertaining, like after cake and milk. Yeah, like every every day I saw a bunch of people, in, like five people in my cabin playing that for like a really for like thirty minutes at like the least. Is that a one-on-one game or like a two-on-two game? Or... One-on-one. 
101. Well, and then winner stays in and loser goes out. It could be for teams because you could probably fit teams in there, but it it could be just designed for 101 or whatever. Or I see. Okay. Tell me about auction part one and auction part two. Tell Explain everyone what that is. And I'm curious what your bunk was assigned to do this summer and like what prize you ended up with. Okay. So I really liked our jobs at the waterfront because it was like, I had a lot of fun jobs. Well, before it was like, it's like you clean up campus before your parents come. What yep. day is it called? Visiting day, but yes. because you guys are from so far away, your parents didn't weren't able to come, but your grandparents, who I know very well, did come, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, okay, and, and then what happened? So in auction part one, the pl time when you clean up, I'm, I had a lot of fun. Well, not fun, fun, but you. I cleaned up like trash, and we were even mopping first pool. Mopping the first pool. Tell me, how does that work? People got into people used their um, regular clothes, and they went into the freezing pool one, and they have rakes, and they go as deep as they can and rake all of the like the, the seaweed, the debris from the like from the entire plate from the okay. um place. Okay, because Bill mopping the first pool probably wouldn't work out, would it? Hmm? Well, you, I, I thought you said mopping the first pool, which I was going to say probably wouldn't work out, would it? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and what, what score did you guys get for all your hard work? We got 93. Because there, so, there was a chair on one of those sections, and there was a spider web. Yeah. Oh, no. So, for our fans out there, when, when the scores are announced... And Bill announced the scores. Tell us what he does when he finds something he doesn't like about um, or finds something wrong with the area in which you were supposed to clean. Did he say whatever? <laughs> he says however. And then however. and then the crowd goes crazy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember. So um, he's like saying the good things. And then <laughs> however. And then somebody lifts their um, so <laughs> their signs. <laughs> their sign. I'm like, yeah. Everybody starts like cheering. Everybody. Everybody lifts up their collusion and um and their however signs and everybody starts it's so funny. Except for the bunk the bunk house cleaning that and then they're like oh the bunk um was like, Oh come on, really? <laughs> you guys had ninety three points and how did you um use them to auction for a prize? Like what did you end up with? We got four prizes. We got Rupert wow. Swift Bill. We got yep. a movie in the what was that place called? Where we had STEAM? STEM. Uh, the Margolin Center. Yeah, in the Margolin Center, we had a movie, and we had Rupert Floats that time. And two prizes I think we didn't do. One for sure, a photo session, because there was this counselor named Ben Ke Keller in our bunk, and he was the waterfront head person, so he could take us tubing. And we were going to have a photo session when we went tubing that one time, but we never did that. And the other one was, like, Sidebar first choice, like you get to pick what you, what you want. Side table, yeah. Yeah, yeah we, I don't. I feel like the side table is unfair because all the cabins, like let's say like the mac and cheese. There's one time where they had mac and cheese. Everybody was like happy for that, and then when they when um they called us the side table, it was gone, and the only people that got it were were the counselors, Dolly <laughs> and Juan. 
We just cut. It's really, and then we all like we all scraped the tiny bits from the sides, and and then it was just weird. So what you're saying out there at a future auction uh, part two participants is side table is a little overrated as a prize. Yeah, is that was that was that what I'm getting? Definitely. Definitely. It's so it's a what, good what's food the, on the side on the side table. So of the four prizes you got, well, which which one was the best? I think it was the root beer float because we watched this movie, Ocean's Eleven, and I don't really understand yep. movies that much, like how they talk. <laughs> like I watched Ford for Ferrari, and I was super confused. Okay. When you left camp, this was this was both of your first years at camp, and as you know, I'm really good friends with your dad. Yes. And I spoke at your parents' wedding. Did you know that? Yes. At the rehearsal dinner. So when you guys left. Uh, got back on the bus. What was that like? Tell me what you was going through your mind. I was really sad, and I was always like, be- um, thinking about how to beg my parents about how to um go eight next week next year for eight weeks. Yeah, and well, that's what we like to hear. Yeah. One more question I have for you guys: Is there a, uh, something else you want to talk about about camp, or some really interesting story, or or something that you want to discuss? I liked ESPN night. It's like a mini color war for a night activity. Yeah, that was uh, that was Griffin Yells, one of our really good counselors. It was he was part of a group that came up with that idea. Can you want to explain what happened on ESPN night? ESPN night, there was two teams like color war: the white ringers and the blue ballers. Every bunk does a different activity, so we were in the twos, and we got separated into teams. And Tyler was on the white team, and I was on the blue team. And we played Newcomb, and it was pretty fun. And then everything, everyone did something else. And then the white team started to make a big comeback. But in the end, um, we won the crazy basketball game that was really close. Great. So did you guys see on Instagram, we started like a March Madness bracket on Instagram and Facebook uh, to decide what's the best night activity at camp? Yeah. No, you haven't seen it. We've seen the Instagram account. Okay, check it out because there's thir- it's a 32 net activity bracket, and, and we posting two different matchups each night, and we're gonna and it's a term to see which is the greatest of all the net activities. So, what would you say is the greatest net activity? Um, ESPN night. That ESPN, ESPN night. Is the best. It was like a mini color one. Okay, I believe ESPN is the one seed in the Daigle Division yeah! bracket. There's four brackets. <laughs> so if you guys get on, I know which way you're going to vote. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I uh, look forward to seeing you this summer. Yeah. That's about it. Thanks a lot, guys. Bye. 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 And for elective time, let's hear from Matthew Shivers, in which he tells the story of the all-time worst auction part one mistake. All right, I am here with a very special guest, former counselor and head color work coach, Matthew Shivers. Matt, how are you? I am doing so well, man. How are you? Good, thanks. Well, I was wondering if you could let everyone know what you do for a career, and I was curious how it might be affected by the current COVID situation. So I'm a flight attendant, and it's kind of like my dream job. I've been doing it for two years now. Um, I got the call, and it was it just kind of like got the ball rolling for me. In terms of what the coronavirus is doing with affecting my career, um, I'm used to taking out planes with like full passengers. It's like a fully loaded plane and literally 
I'm taking out planes of like seven people. To give you an idea, we usually have full loads of 175 to 143, somewhere in that range. And it's been like seven people, two people. Sometimes it's listed as more than that and it's zero. So it's been definitely been like a, a huge financial hit for um, my industry, but also um, it's kind of nerve wracking given the fact that I know how contagious this virus is and how, you know, the threat of it, it kind of weighs on me because I have to protect myself. And so like I'm exposed to all these different people from all over the country who have been to so many different places. It, it definitely weighs on you. Um, I'm doing my best to protect myself. I know quite a few of my flight attendant friends have been exposed to someone that has had the virus and whatnot. I haven't gotten the call yet. I mean, it's very real out here. Yeah, it's, it's kind of scary. Just curious, how does financially, how does it even make sense for a, a, an airplane to take a trip with only seven passengers? Are those passengers paying like $5,000 each? <laughs> Actually, <laughs> no. Um, so the moment that things kind of went crazy, airlines were dropping their prices for flights sharply. I haven't paid for a flight in over two years. So I have no idea, but I'm, <laughs> I'm assuming like a flight was like, I don't know, $200, $300. We're definitely selling flights for like $20, $30. Um, it's, it's kind of insane. I know it sounds kind of crazy. Like, why are we still flying? But the truth is we're actually flying a lot of cargo, which has supplies for some of these hospitals. So we're shipping, you know, ventilators and masks and gloves and personal protective equipment. Several of our planes have taken doctors to New York from different areas of the country because, um, you know, New York's kind of been hit like the worst in our country. So, um, I mean, there's a lot of things that we're still doing that makes sense. I know a plane with like seven people, it kind of sounds weird, but it makes sense for kind of the environment that we're in right now. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, hopefully you keep safe out there. So I want to start with you by, and I'm not even sure what your story is about how you ended up at camp. Could you let <laughs> us know how, how you ended up at camp? Because I know you're not from like the New England area. No, um, I'm originally from Atlanta. Um, so it's a very interesting situation. Um, my mother raised me as a single parent and we didn't have a lot of means growing up and she wanted to kind of give me a little bit of a better life. So she started enrolling in summer courses um, and there was this college in Boston, uh, I think it's called Cambridge College or something like that, where mm -hmm. she went and she spent a summer there. It was the first time we kind of like really been apart and she came into contact with one of her professors who is friends with Bill. His name is Dr. Boatner. She kind of mentioned to him that she was really struggling with being so far away from me. And yeah, he put my mother in touch with Bill and that's how I came to camp. And so wow. she went She went that first summer without me. But then the second summer that she went, I went to Westinghouse Camp. That's amazing. That was, uh, I was in 4A and I was 13. So Oh, so I didn't know you were a camper. Oh, so... I was a camper. Oh, I was okay. a camper. So, so you were a what, a two or three year camper? I was a two year camper. I was one of the lucky ones that got to be a CIT at 15. <laughs> uh, yeah, we hold the line, as you heard the Jeremy Zarker podcast, we hold the line a little more firm on that these days. Yeah. Well, I'd like to think that I was a little more mature. Oh, <laughs> without a doubt. Wait, so do, were you there for Color War? I was all? never there for Color War as a camper. Okay. No, it was, I, it was, I was very envious of all of my friends because, you know, they talked about it. And given the fact that school started way earlier for me in the oh, South, yeah. I, never, I never got to participate as a camper. And I only got to participate in Color War just like even visually see it. I was like maybe 
two, three years, maybe four. Yeah, my thing was Desert War. I was all about Desert War. (laughs) (laughs) I think as a camper, I was there just the first four weeks. And uh, I think I had like a special circumstance my second year where I got to stay for five weeks or something Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, I was was total Desert War king in my head, at least. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what was there anything specific about Desert War that you loved or just all You know what man the energy of Desert War just really yeah. spoke to me. It was something I had never experienced before. You know, I grew up in a predominantly black area. I knew pretty much no one outside of someone that looked like me. And so being exposed to camp and all different types of people from all different parts of the country and all different backgrounds and cultures and just seeing us all come together as one for this one (laughs) fun, intense game for this one day, it was just something that I had never really experienced before. Um, Because I'm not really into sports. I'm not, or as a kid, at least I wasn't really into sports. I didn't really have any kind of visual to go off of when it came to Desert War. And it was just, I don't know, it was was just so much fun. Um, It's definitely the energy though. Like we, I mean, we're talking about snatching a Frisbee out of a milk carton (laughs) and running to the opposite side of a field. You know, it's just kind of, it was so strange, but it meant so much. To all of us, you know, and there was just so much passion and so much heart and we took it seriously, you know, and I mean, again, again, this was something brand new to me as a first year camper. It was it was something so totally brand new. And the fact that, you know, I got so hyped from it was just it was an experience that like I'll never forget. I will say that I do not remember what team I was on. It might have been like I think that year it was like silver and gold, but it it was very special. It was a very special experience. Yeah, it sounds like it. So you you touched upon something really interesting to me you know our camp is very diverse Mm -hmm. and was that a factor in you going to our camp versus other camps um i mean i had never been to camp at all it's just for me how i grew up i grew up around people who looked like me who had the same kind of means as me it was just very the same kind of i don't know it was just weird to be placed in such an area where everyone is from different walks of life and i never felt like an outsider like i'm this southern kid who's you know been around nothing but a bunch of black kids his whole life and then here I am surrounded by all these different cultures and all these different people and it was just like just so it was like a welcoming kind of thing but also very eye-opening I learned so much as a just like as a person that's great yeah yeah that's kind of what we're trying to do so that's great to hear yeah so I want to shift a little bit here sure. because I felt like you were the perfect person to talk about with the COVID situation going on right now. <laughs> it's it's like cleanliness seems to be at the highest priority right oh, now. Yeah. And when I think of the all-time great senior counselors in terms of, well, you were a great senior counselor overall. So I don't want to pigeonhole well, you. But when, you. I, when I think of you, <laughs> yeah, you know, you were. When I think of like, if I need a 99 and clean up and I got to hire a senior counselor <laughs> to get me that 99, who's my my guy and it's either you or like one or two others like like the list is very very short Mm -hmm. i'm thinking you're probably number Mm -hmm. one but i feel like in my mind i'm missing i might be missing somebody else that might be in contention so i want to know what are the secrets like when you when you ran a cleanup what were some some secrets (laughs) to the mad shivers secret sauce of cleanup because you guys brought the goods every day um we did and you know what uh it was a very long time ago (laughs) You know what, what I will say, this is, I don't think a lot of people know this. I kept my bunk cleaner than my own room at home. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, you know what the thing is, Ryan? I grew up in a household where, like, you know, we cleaned daily and, I mean, and then things got deep cleaned weekly. 
And so when I came into an environment where I'm surrounded by, you know, 13, 14 boys in one room, you can imagine how messy that gets. And I'm not I'm not someone that classifies himself as like a OCD or neat freak or anything like that. But I like a very good sense of order and cleanliness. And, you know, the fact that we're outside and running around and everybody's sweating and it gets really, really messy, as you can imagine, with 13, 14 boys in one space. In terms of my philosophy, it was just, I think my my thought was like, it's not clean enough. You know, like I would look at the corners <laughs> in the room. I would look at, you know, the toilet and underneath the toilet. You know, I would look at the creases of the shower and, you know, I would look at their beds and be like, you know, this isn't crisp, but this isn't made properly. I would look at their lockers and I'd be like, you know, you got to fold these clothes. Like it needs to look like, you don't know. I don't know. I think with the way I grew up is my mom would tell me like, make sure my house is clean because you never know who I'm bringing home today. Like in terms of like a visitor or something like that. And I don't want them to see my house in disarray. And that's Mm -hmm. how I would see it in terms of the bunk because we had visitors all the time. In fact, I'm now thinking about this. If we had, you know, people come to visit camp to see if they were interested in it and they wanted to see a bunk, I know my bunk would be one of the ones on display. (laughs) Oh, you just gave out a, you just gave out a camp secret right there, Chef. Did I? We might have to delete that from the, I'm just kidding. No, and it's like, oh, we have a power. Yeah, let's, we got a random bunk. We, we're punkish, we're punkish shivers. Oh, 3A. Oh, 3A. Let's, let's, we'll just show you 3A. That's close by. You know, I know. I, I know I would be, I would, might be off in the morning and I would be taking a nap or something like that. And someone would come in and be like, hey, we're going to show off your bunk really quickly. Do you mind stepping out? Or like, can you just wake up or something? And I'm like, yeah, sure. No worries. You know, just because I, I understand that. I don't know. It's, it also feels good. It feels good to walk in after you've been outside playing this whole day or, you you know, you're at the waterfront doing whatnot. It feels good to walk in and it's clean. It's not like things are thrown all over the place. There's no dirt on the floor. The bathroom, you know, it's it's in order. We, we did our best also to just like maintain that throughout the day. So we did our best to, to try to keep that up so it wasn't so hard to do the next morning, you know. Yeah, and that leads me to like one of my staple theories is just like the easiest way to keep a clean bunk is bunk, excuse me, is to not screw it up in the exactly. first place. I know it's been a while, but I want to go through some real, real minutiae okay. with you and see what, if you have any theories on this. So when you're creating the job chart list, <laughs> as every as every council does, I forgot all about that. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> what, okay, and if you, I could prompt you if you don't remember, like, what are some jobs that like you feel like are necessities, and other ones that you feel like are totally overrated and don't even need to be? Oh done? my gosh, I haven't thought about this in years. Um, so I know there was like sweeper, and then there was mopping, right? And then yep. there oh, was of course someone who had to support basket. basket. Yeah, I was like somebody had to do something outside. Hit me, hit me with some of the other ones because it's been a long time. Lines and ground. Oh my and gosh, you got, you got two guys on waiter so that takes yes. two, two kids off the gig right off yeah. the bat um so you got two kids on waiter let's say you got your lines and grounds you got your porch and basket you got two sweepers you already have the six mm-hmm. kids you got a bathroom sinks and toilets oh kid. that's gosh. seven bathroom mop eight <laughs> and those are really the staples yeah. anything like there's, there's there, ones... there would be like days off and stuff like that etc yeah yeah 
uh, there was like lockers, which I always found found ridiculous because yes. it's like, why am I in charge of someone else's locker? <laughs> so this will, this is going to shock you. When I was a camper, my mug really went off the radar, and we decided to have permanent jobs. Oh no. Mm-mm. <laughs> Like specialty, because we each had certain things we were good at. I was the bathroom guy, and I was so cocky about it. I said, I'll do it all by myself. I'm bathroom guy every (laughs) single day. I got this. I will guarantee us a 15 out of 15 every day. And I delivered the goods. Check you out. And I think people were like, well, that guy's crazy. But you know what? To me, it was like, I would rather do that and and take it Mm -hmm. all upon myself to do, you know, what, like, what if I do a great job with the sinks and toilets and then the mop guy exactly, it up, and then I get a 10 out of 15 and I'm getting paid for it. I'm, like, I'm not having that. So I'd rather just yeah, do the you whole know thing. And, and that's very smart of you. One thing you brought up earlier that yeah. I want to come back to is you said lines and grounds. And and I think lines and grounds is like the job itself is not mm-hmm. that important. But what is important, it's almost like. Uh, a security measure because if you don't have a lounge and grounds guy, there could be a bunk that that attempts to sabotage oh, on your cabin and, and drop some trash oh, in front of your cabin. If you don't have somebody at that post, I mean, you're, you're a goner and that, you're going to be minus like five, six points. Easily. And I mean, maybe even more. Does Bill still do the scoring or no? He doesn't. He, he no, does that's not. Uh, no. This OD now, right? Um, yes. Uh, AOD. The AOD oh, does it now. Me, sorry. But I know if, if Bill was doing the score, game over. If Lines and Grounds was not, <laughs> it's not right. It, it was a mess. There'd be oh, a lot of however. Very however. Very however. <laughs> so you, you probably are like me. You don't subscribe to these crazy jobs that people put on the job chart like staff sandal picker no, up or anything like that. I don't think like I ever did anything like that because the reality was, you know, if there, as long as everyone took care of their area and then we had the, the big nuggets taken care of, you know, I think I just gave them days off um, because it was like, you know what, it, it's worth it at that point. You're yeah. speaking my language. So like one theory I have is always been like, I'm a big less is more guy. I would rather have like five people working really hard because the, the the people that aren't really doing anything, mm-hmm. if they're in the cabin, they're just they're Hanging just in everyone's out. way, and they're talking to the people that are mm-hmm. actually doing work. I'm Hanging like, get out, out of here. That was another right. thing that I did. I don't know. I don't know if you know. I got that from you, or that was just my my thing. But I was like, okay, you're done. Put your shoes on. Goodbye. You know. <laughs> you know. Because, <laughs> right. Well, you did your job. Is, Good the truth is, Go they play. Were, hanging out you know their shoes are dirty or their cleats were dirty and it was like yep. if you're walking around or you're going to the bathroom or you're doing this that and the other it's just creating more of a mess that this person that has already completed the job now has to go back and do or i have to do and it just it right. it, it caused the mess so yeah once you're done you gotta go <laughs> so i wanted to throw put you in a hypothetical because I, I like to see how the great minds <laughs> okay. clean up think so you're the senior counselor of you know, a junior bunk doesn't necessarily have to be the fives. Let's call it. Sure. Let's call it two B. No, no. Actually, let's make it three B. It'll make it more. It'll make it work better. So let's say you're the senior counselor in three B, and it's thirteen fifteen under okay. basketball day, right? So half of your mm-hmm. bunk is on the team. So your your bunk of let's say twelve is now down <laughs> to about five. Been there, been there. Okay, and, and of that five, two of the kids mm-hmm. got to cover waiter. So really, you're you're left with three kids unless you're gonna really be tough on the waiters and make them come back and 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 participate in the cleanup as well. My question to you is: Given this scenario, how are you? You know, somebody who has demands the best of his bunk and the highest level of cleanliness. How are you still gonna get that high? 90 grade with only you know the reality is at that point we're all splitting duties and i'm i'm covering things as well it's just that's that's how it is the waiters they have a a tough job 
that was like my least favorite thing to do as a camper. It's just a mess, right. you know, like you're picking up people's food and you're helping. It's just, it's too much. Yeah. I mean, we all have to pitch in. We got to split up duties and, you know, we got to take care of it. But you know what? I won't lie because there's less people in the bunk. Those were the cleaner days. <laughs> I, I agree. Days. And, and you know what? It wasn't like I had to manage, you know, several different people at once, you know, I, to 10, 12 kids. I didn't have to manage all of them. You know, it was like me and a team of four other people and we all split it up and we knocked it out. And it was, it was like very quick, very easy, very seamless versus having, you know, 10 kids in there and me asking kids like, okay, please go, please go. You're done. Please go. It's, you know, it's, it's chaos with that many boys in there. Absolutely. So what's your theory on this, right? To me, one of the harder cleanup days of the summer is the day after visiting day. You got, mm. you know, parents coming in, taking mm. them to the general store, getting them pieces oh, of this or that that they don't need. And you just got like boxes <sighs> and trash. Do you double up on porch <laughs> basket on that day? Like what? Triple up? Like, um, what you what's your to plan? To be honest, I don't really know. That's a very distant memory of mine. I will say, I know you said the day after visiting day, but truly the day before, is that the day before visiting day, the one where everybody has to clean up different parts of the camp? Auction Correct, part one. Auction part truly, one. Truly, that was 100%, I'm not even going to lie, like in my top two favorite experiences of camp. Because my, usually my bunk got to clean Wonderland, um, and I finally got all the beads and stuff out of the cracks <laughs> in the wood. You know, truly, I feel like that is a very hard day to clean up camp versus the day after visiting day. Um, just because, like, it's very specific things, you know? Like when you said the, the howevers with Bill, you know, he's very specific about certain things. I'll never forget I don't remember which bunk it was, but they were assigned to clean uh, the camp rental van. And they did a, I mean, <laughs> top-notch job. Fantastic. I mean, it was sparkling. The wheels were shining. It looked like a completely different van. And, I, I know yes. how everyone's coming. So Bill was giving them their score. <laughs> you know, the kids were pumped up. They were, like, happy about it. And I was like, man, he is just, like, you know, lighting them up. This is, these are great, great reviews. And then he said, however. And I was like, what however? Like, what's the however? And everybody's just like, oh, oh, oh. Because they cleaned out the glove compartment, they threw away the registration <laughs> of the campaign. And it's like, it was absolutely devastating to them because they're like, what? Like, we just thought it was just random papers. No, you threw away the registration. So I don't know. They could have gotten like a 99 or something like that, but they got an, an 89 or a 90 or something like that. It was a pretty harsh cut. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a legendary auction part one story. Uh, auction part two, that my other favorite auction part two story, which I, I, I repeat a lot often, is the year that Stowawi was a senior counselor for 2A and he had, like, Jack Meany as a camper and a few other, like, veterans. And he did the math mm -hmm. wrong in his head. And, you know, you get to the end and it's like, you know, disc golf and pizza bar, oh like the goodness. heavy hitter prizes. Or movie in Portland. And his bunk, like, was up against, like, a 99 and 100. And his bunk oh, was like, 97. My. And there was two prizes left. And his bunk literally oh, got no, no. prize. <laughs> oh, no. That's the worst. That is the worst. Oh, yeah, boy. and I was I was like uh, Jack Meenum or walking away so mad. And I'm like, what is he so mad about? And someone's like, they got nothing. I'm like, what are you talking about? Um, yeah. I, think, I think in the end we did give them a prize because right. it wasn't really their fault. Sorry, Stowawi. I know, I know, it was just an error. That's but such it was just defeat. Hysterical it's such event. defeat. <laughs> yeah. 
one of my favorite things about talking to alumni is is when alumni have stories of when they ran into other alumni in very bizarre places. And I've heard that you have a random celebrity alumni uh, run-in story. So could you yeah, let us know what um, happened? Celebrity. <laughs> I love it. I am based in Denver for my job. At the time, I was still living in Atlanta, but commuting to Denver every day to work. And I was going to dinner with a friend. It's this awesome little vegan restaurant in downtown Denver. And suddenly I hear, not a lot of people call me Shivers. I introduce myself as Matthew. So not a lot of people call me Shivers unless they're from camp. And so I hear like in the background, it's like Shivers. And I'm like, what? Like is someone, who's calling me Shivers right now? I'm looking around and it's like Shivers, Shivers. And I turn around and it's Tyler Randolph, who I haven't seen in like, it feels like a decade at this point. And I'm just like, what are you doing here? And he's like, what are you doing here? <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> I'm based here for work. And he's like, I thought you lived in Atlanta. I was like, I still do, but I'm, I'm having dinner with a friend. Turns out he's married, he's a teacher. You know, he says he thinks about camp a lot. He still talks to Kabir, who's the person that got him at camp. It's so small. Like, it's, he's somebody that I, yeah. we were very close. We were, uh, I think we might have been coasting your counselors together um, in like Gottlieb or 1A one year. I know we definitely were, we were together at one point, but yeah, it was just so strange. I, you know, there's some people at camp who you just think that you'll never see again because, you know, you go on a different paths and whatnot. And I just, that one was very, very random. Yeah, for those of people who don't know Tyler Randolph, so we had this amazing random run of senior counselors from Chico, California. And the first one was Kabir Moss. And we got Kabir, and I'm not sure you know this, Kabir played basketball for mm -hmm. Emerson College. And the coach at the time was uh, friendly with a West Ender, so he recommended Kabir to come to West Endos camp. And then, so Kabir was at camp mm -hmm. for two years, I believe. And then he recommended it to his friend Tyler Randolph, who was at camp for two years. And then... After your time, we had another amazing senior counselor from Chico, oh California, Brett Smith. So we had like three of our best senior counselors of all time. We're all like 6'3", basketball playing, like sweetest guys on earth. Like he's a best great counselor. counselor. He's a great, he's, he's yeah. such a great guy. He still is too. Yeah, I mean, he's that's definitely a, a top counselor for me at my, during my time. Yeah, and you have, you have <laughs> high standards so for you to say that. That means something because you, you definitely didn't weren't basketball. Oh, no, 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 no. You're, you're right about that. <laughs> <laughs> all right well thank you so much yeah, of course. uh matt for doing this with me man it was good to talk yeah, to you i haven't yeah. talked to you in a long time of course stay safe out there with the um flight attendant oh, re really quick hold on i do want to say this you asked me about like very strange encounters or just like in weird places i yep. do have one more yeah, so I am very good friends with Neil Sharma and uh, Ethan Ansel Kelly. I see them yep. very frequently. Every time I go to Boston or I have a Boston layover, I go to see them. And uh, very recently, one of my former campers, Joey Cohen, reached out to me on Facebook and said, hey, Shivers, I know you're hanging out with, you know, Neil and Ethan very frequently. You know, we should hang out and, you know, have dinner or something like that. And I was like, oh, my gosh, yes, of course. Like, I'd love to meet up with you. So I... I told Ethan um, that we were going to hang out with Joey. Um, Neil, unfortunately, couldn't make it. 
But Joey shows up and then he tags along like four of my other former campers that he's kept in contact with for all of these years. So I got to see Peter Erickson. I got to see Ben Robinson. I got to see Jordy Cohen. It was like insane. And we had this huge table and we just caught up and laughed. Most of us were the original G1. I don't know if you you remember that. Yeah. Oh, great call. Yeah. Yeah, we took a picture and and whatnot. It was great times just kind of catching up and reminiscing and all of them are like on these great paths of life now they're all doing very well and it just it, it kind of warmed my heart you know because i have the same kids pretty much every year and so to see mm-hmm. them kind of blossom and be doing so well after all this time so it really hit it hit home when joey told me it was like you know a, a lot of the lessons you taught me shivers i use in my everyday life including cleanliness oh, <laughs> it, that it must was, felt it really was, good it was, really, <laughs> it was amazing um it was great to see them but yeah he didn't tell me that he was gonna invite all those kids they're not kids anymore. They're they're grown men. I mean, they're all taller. I we took a picture and I'm shorter than every single one of them. <laughs> and I'm just like, wow, you guys are like towers. But yeah, so that was that they're all was grown the up. What I wanted to say. That's great. Yeah. That stuff makes me yeah. smile. I and mean, that's what camp is all about. I went to dinner with my Gottlieb crew yeah. like a couple months ago. And it was like 12 of us. A couple of the guys don't usually come to Old Timers Week. So they were kind of like a little out of the scene, but it was just awesome to get everybody together. And and they really enjoyed hanging out with the crew. So yeah, good stuff, man. All right. Well, thank you for doing the podcast. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Take care. Thanks a lot. All right. Bye, Shiv. Okay, West End, all lights out. Thank you for listening to the West End House Camp Podcast. If you have any questions or topics to discuss, we'd love to hear your suggestions. Email them to me at ryan.wehc at gmail.com, or you can send me a message, a voice message, to anchor.fm backslash Westenhouse Camp backslash message. And remember, as long as the sun is in the sky, the spirit of the house We'll never die. Rip, 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 rip. West End House. West End House. Yeah.